Open your Bibles, if you will, to the 22nd Psalm, Psalm 22. As on this Palm Sunday, we look at the reason for which our Savior set His face as a flint toward Jerusalem. Why did He enter into Jerusalem? It was to go to the cross. And so anticipating Good Friday, we read the 22nd Psalm. Let us pray first. Our Father, how thankful we, your children, are that we are adopted into your family through the blood of Christ, and that by faith in him, we now have confidence to know that he, our great intercessor, even now before the throne, pleads his perfect record, his blood, his righteousness, his merit for us. We claim none of our own, but his only for our salvation. But Father, among us there may be those who are strangers to grace who do not know the Lord Jesus at all. And as we, your people, deepen in our understanding of the magnificence of your love for us, we pray that those among us who know you not will be enabled by your Spirit to trust in Christ alone for salvation and redemption from sin. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The 22nd Psalm, you'll need it, of course, as always, open before you for the entirety of the sermon. The 22nd Psalm, this is the word of God. To the choir master, according to the doe of the dawn, a psalm of David. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted, and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who seek me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me, like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. But you, O Lord, do not be far off. O you, my help, come quickly to my aid. 
Deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers. In the midst of the congregation, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him. All you offspring of Israel, for he has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. And he has not hidden his face from him, but has heard when he cried to him. From you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord. And all the families of the nation shall worship before you. For kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the prosperous of the earth eat and worship. Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. Here in the 22nd Psalm, this ancient, ancient Psalm, we see Jesus suffering on the cross. Nothing in David's life could account for this Psalm. And what is more remarkable, this is the only passage in the Bible that gives us a view of the cross from the cross itself. Where else in Scripture do you find this? Where our Lord Jesus in divine prophecy speaks from the cross of what he will see at the foot of the cross and what he endured upon the cross. Here in Psalm 22 is the cross prophetically spoken from the perspective of the Savior who died there for our sins. See here the once-for-all sacrifice of Christ for sinners on the cross. See him paying the penalty for our sins. See the just for the unjust giving his life that we might be saved. How sad that our Jewish friends fail to see the Messiah in this psalm. But I ask this morning, will you? Will you by faith see Jesus in this psalm who hung and bled on a cross for our sins? Here we see the Messiah forsaken. And so first we see that he is forsaken by God. Forsaken by God. And he cries out in verse 1, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? David writes it. One thousand years later, Jesus Christ cries it upon the cross. Another time, perhaps, we will focus upon verse 1 alone. But for now, remember... He cried because his suffering was an infinite suffering, that he bore our sins deserving God's infinite displeasure. Why this cry of anguish? Because it pleased the Lord to crush him, putting him to grief. Why this cry of anguish? Because of his unknown sufferings. Because of those sufferings that no man could see 
as he bore within his body and soul not only the torment of humanity, but as he bore within his body and soul the wrath of God for the sins of his people. The Father brought three hours of darkness over him, pouring out infinite wrath. Verse 2, O my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I find no rest. Why is Jesus upon the cross? Why does he cry out, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why does he cry out from the darkness? To do away with your sin and mine. Why is sin so infinitely cursed? Because God is infinitely holy. Hence verse 3. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. And so there he hung, truly forsaken by God. As we read in verses 4 and 5. And you, our fathers, trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. And you they trusted and were not put to shame. Our Savior is saying, our fathers trusted in you. You have never turned from Israel. You have never turned from your people. You have never turned from the remnant. You have never turned from the faithful prophets. You have always been faithful to your people. But now I cry out and I am forsaken. Do you know, people of God, those who now trust in the Lord Jesus, you will never be forsaken of your Lord. Never. And you will never be forsaken by your Lord because your Lord was forsaken for you. Christ is the only one. He bore your sin before the holy God and was forsaken as God's wrath was poured out upon him. That's why, amazingly, in verse 6, the Savior says, But I am a worm and no man. Can you imagine words of greater pathos than this? That the God who created humanity, who assumed human nature that he might die upon a cross to redeem us from our sins, now as he hangs upon a cross can say that the magnitude of his suffering is so great that he is even down way below humankind. It is as if he is a worm crushed under the heel of the wrath of the Almighty. The sinless substitute, a worm. Why? Because God cannot fellowship with sin. Because, as Paul tells us in Galatians 3.13, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us, For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He was forsaken by God, that you might fellowship with God. Secondly, he was forsaken by men. Looking down from the cross, what did our Lord see? Beginning in verse 6, note these words. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me, and they make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. The crowd had cried, crucify him. And now he hangs upon a cross. The thief had mocked him. And the onlookers at the foot of the cross, they say, oh, he trusts. In God, 
Let him deliver him if he delights in him. I ask you, what had he done but good? He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He proclaimed the coming of the kingdom. Salvation in his name. What good he had done. What wrong had he done? No wrong. The sinless substitute who hangs up on a cross. There he is forsaken by God and forsaken by men. And there was none to help. Verses 9 through 11. Yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near, and there is none to help. What overwhelmingly kind providence the Lord had shown, even from Christ's birth. On you was I cast for my birth, and from my mother's womb you have been my God. But now he calls out from the belly of hell, and there is none to help, none to rescue. And looking from the cross, what does he see? Verses 12 and 13 answer that question. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. He looks down and he sees men like bulls pawing the ground in anger, dust flying up, rage filling their nostrils, hatred flaming from their eyes. or opening their mouths like ravening lions as Jesus Christ moves into the very jaws of death. Do you remember Isaiah 53, verse 3? He was despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their face. He was despised. And we esteemed him not. He was forsaken of men. But as we see that our Savior was forsaken of God, forsaken of men, let us never forget he was forsaken on the cross. Thirdly, forsaken on the cross. Now you will remember that crucifixion was not a Jewish form of punishment at all. It was Roman punishment, yet here in the 22nd Psalm, it is foretold by divine inspiration. We read in verse 14, I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. And here we see the intense perspiration, the intensity of his suffering, his bones, his shoulders, his pelvis out of joint, his heart affected, My heart is like wax, it is melted within my breast. Why? Because, we are told by Paul the Apostle, this one who hung upon a cross is the one whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. John Gill, in his commentary on this verse, says, If the heart of Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah, melted at it, what heart can endure or hands be strong? when God deals with them in his wrath. In verse 15 we read, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. And here we find the extreme, unbelievable thirst 
as our Savior was roasted as our Paschal Lamb to save us from our sin, laid in the dust of death. And from the cross he sees dogs encompass him. Verse 16, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. His hands and his feet were pierced. So the risen Lord showed his disciples his hands and his feet. And in verse 17, he tells us, I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. At the foot of the cross, there were the Roman soldiers with their plumes and glistening helmets and shields and swords. And at the foot of the cross, these soldiers, having stripped our Savior of his clothing, gambled for his clothes, of which we read in verse 18, they divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. A verse that is quoted in the crucifixion narrative in John 19, verse 24. There the Savior hangs upon the cross naked, that we sinners might be clothed with his perfect righteousness. I will never understand Christians gambling. Not even a lottery ticket. In verse 20, deliver my soul from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dog. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. Deliver my soul from the sword. His soul is pierced with the sword of divine vengeance as surely as his body was with nails. What was that sword? Of that sword we read in Zechariah 13, 7, God speaking, Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who stands next to me, declares the Lord of hosts. It is the sword of divine vengeance thrust into our Savior's breast. Forsaken on the cross, cursed to remove our curse. And then, the psalm begins to turn in tone. And there's a cry for resurrection in verses 21 and 22. Save me from the mouth of the lion. You have rescued me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will tell of your name to my brothers in the midst of the congregation. I will praise you, which is cited in Hebrews 2.12 of the Savior. The gloom of the cross now passes, and we begin to anticipate Easter. And we see, fourthly, the forsaken Lord triumphs. The forsaken Lord triumphs. God smiles again upon His Son, as we read in verses 23 and 24. You who fear the Lord, praise Him. All you offspring of Jacob, glorify Him. And stand in awe of Him, all you offspring of Israel. For He has not despised or abhorred the affliction of the afflicted. He has not hidden His face from Him, 
but has heard when he cried to him. That is to say, he accepted his sacrifice on the cross. He received his atonement on the cross. He accepted his payment of the penalty for our sins. God smiles upon his son, and now we are told that the good news of what the Savior achieved for the salvation of sinners will spread over the globe. In verses 25 and following, from you comes my praise in the great congregation. My vows I will perform before those who fear him. The afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth shall remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nation shall worship before you, for kingship belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. Good news implies great blessing, the powerful effusion of the Holy Spirit, the wide spreading of the gospel in this era, triumphing in the return of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And indeed, the psalm says, so great will the triumph of the Messiah be that due to his sovereign will, the Messiah Prince will rule in the hearts of earthly potentates. For we read in verse 28, for kingship belongs to the Lord and he rules over the nations. We look upon the world and we say, oh, what is happening? But the Lord rules and reigns. Spurgeon and the treasury of David on this verse says, Amid the tumults and disasters of the present, the Lord reigneth. But in the halcyon days of peace, the rich fruit of his dominion will be apparent to every eye. His kingdom, we are told in this psalm, will be boundless. A messianic banquet is coming in which we will feast together with the Lord. Verse 29, all the prosperous of the earth eat and worship Before him shall bow all who go down to the dust, even the one who could not keep himself alive. Verse 30 tells us that posterity shall serve him. Verse 31, that that posterity shall come and proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. That's you. You are that posterity, that seed purchased by the Savior who hung upon a cross. It is you, believer, who now are to go forth into the world and to proclaim the crowned rights of King Jesus and to proclaim that this Savior has purchased his people from their sins and calls sinners to bow before him in faith. It is we who will declare that he hath done it. You see the end of the psalm? That he hath done it. What is the it? that he has done. It is the it is finished of the cross. It is the atonement that he won when he shed his precious blood for us. It is a complete redemption. It is a finished work. Finished. Done. Once for all. Never to be repeated because justice has been satisfied. God is well pleased with his son. He has done it. This is the solemn, awesome view from the cross. Each section deserving of its own sermon. 
Let me sum this up. Here is described the circumstances surrounding Christ's crucifixion. His desolate cry in verse 1, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Light and darkness, the mocking crowd casting lots for his garments. The crucifixion itself, his bones out of joint, excruciating suffering, perspiration, heart affected by torture, hands and feet pierced, nakedness, shame, and victory. And it certainly denies naturalistic explanation. The Spirit of Christ indwelt David, and 1,000 years before the cross, Jesus Christ, through David, describes his own crucifixion from the cross itself. Now let me bring these thoughts to you. If indeed it required the Son of God, to suffer and bleed and die upon a cross to save us from our sins, then how infinitely awful sin must be. It is right that we dwell upon it. It is right that we be filled with great and wondrous joy at deliverance. It is also right that as a Christian I carry within my heart all of the days of my life an appropriate grief that my sin sent him there. How awful, how infinitely awful sin must be that it required, if I am to be saved, that God assume human nature and hang upon a cross and that my hell torments be poured out upon him in my place. Secondly, if indeed Christ the Savior died for my sins, how awful the wrath of God must be. Do you know that from which you have been spared, believer? Do you understand why in the modern church there is all this eagerness to do away with the doctrine of hell, which is so clearly taught in the Bible? Nobody likes to hear about hell. Polite ears don't want to hear about hell. You do away with hell, you do away with the cross. That's what the cross is. The awful wrath of God, my hell torments, poured out upon the Son of God. But if it is true and it is that it is Jesus who died upon the cross, the God-man, God who assumed human nature, the Son the second person of the Trinity who died for me there. How complete is your redemption? Utterly complete. The price completely paid so that every believer can say, there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. I 
owe nothing to the law of God. But fourthly, I owe nothing to the law of God because the penalty has been paid. But if it is Jesus who died upon a cross for me, I owe everything to him. How powerful our obligations to grace. How eager, yes, even vehement we are about those things that pertain to ourselves, our gains, our losses, our reputations. But I ask you, is anything more worthy of love and vehemence than the glory, the beauty, and the wonder of God in the flesh hanging on a cross? As Jonathan Edwards put it, how great cause have we therefore to be humble to the dust that we are no more affected. I was reading just yesterday evening in an old Scottish theologian who said, nor let us be satisfied with anything short of an entire and implicit surrender of our hearts to King Jesus. If Jesus died on the cross for me, and it is through his grace alone that I am saved, then I owe him the implicit surrender of my heart because he is my king. Don't you think? You know the hymn, here are the lines. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. See from his head, his hands, his feet, sorrow and love flow mingle down. Did e'er such love and sorrow meet, or thorns compose so rich a crown? And this stanza left out of almost all the hymnals. His dying crimson, like a robe, spreads o'er his body on the tree. Then am I dead to all the globe, and all the globe is dead to me. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. Demands your soul, your life, your all. Oh, should we not love him? Should we not love him? who loved us in this way and shed his blood for us. And God's people said...